Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Joshua chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. As soon as Adonai Zedek, now does that sound familiar? Melchizedek? Melchizedek was Jesus pre-incarnate, ruler of Jerusalem, high priest and king of Jerusalem. Adonizedek, so here's a king, he was a Canaanite king, who took the name Adonai, which means Lord of Righteousness or Justice. So fascinating, here's a man doing a little bit to impersonate a great historical king, Jesus. Ah, very interesting. As soon as Adonai, the Lord of Righteousness, <laughs> he's trying to imitate Melchizedek, the pre-incarnate Christ, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, the Lord of Righteousness, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hohem, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Japhthiah, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Now here's a principle. Enemies attack new friends. Now we know that they should not have been friends, but enemies attack new friends because they see you getting stronger. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathering their forces, went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them for I have given them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now here's strategy again. Marched all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic. See, they weren't expecting anybody could get there that quickly. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent at Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. Now, the Lord threw down large stones of heaven. Wow. So you have stones coming out of the sky killing people. Now, some people would say, well, was that hail? It said stones. It didn't say hail. It said stones. So these stones came down from heaven. What were they? Some people would say it's volcanic eruption. 
Others would say it's hail. I just think when the Bible says the Lord threw down large stones from heaven, he did, okay? And there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So hailstones, large stones, whichever it is. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon. Wow. At the time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. And the moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped. Until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? That the sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Wow. Wow. God elongated a day in answer to the prayer of Joshua. But remember, Joshua was living in obedience. God said, go up against them. Don't be afraid. I have given them into your hand. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. So pursue. Do not stop mid-battle. When God has routed the enemy, go after it. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered their fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so. And they brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jermuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought these kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be dismayed or afraid. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. This was a lesson in victory. He said, now listen, don't, don't, you, don't you be afraid of anybody. You, you remember this day. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, in the middle of victory, you need to stop and remember, this is not the last victory God will give you. And some of you right now, God is about to give great victory to. And in the middle of that victory, you need to stop and remember, I will never be afraid again of any battle that I have to fight. Anything I have to endure, God will always give me the victory. Afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. 
But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded them to take them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. As for Makada, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. And he devoted to destruction every person in it. He left nothing remaining, as he did to the king of Makada, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all of Israel passed on from Makada to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and his king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. And Joshua and all Israel passed with him on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel. And he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it as he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua struck him and his people and left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it and fought against it. And they captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, and he devoted every person in it to destruction that day as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all of Israel went up with him from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it and captured it, and struck with the edge of the sword, and its king and its towns and every person in it. He left nothing remaining, as he had done to Eglon. He devoted to destruction every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Debir and fought against it. And he captured its, with it its king and its towns, and they struck it with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left nothing remaining. Just as he had done to Hebron and to Libna and his king, so he did to Debir and to its king. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev, and the lowland and the slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and all their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now, I want you just to notice a couple of things. All of these kings that are listed up here, all of these kings, the king of Jarmuth, Lachish, Debir, Eglon, all of those kings... Joshua went and conquered their cities too. He, he didn't stop with the kings. He went after the cities also. But I want you to notice something else. How they kept returning to Gilgal. Gilgal was kind of one of the early capitals of Israel. It's later their, their religious center moved to Shiloh. But Gilgal was where Joshua had built the altar Gilgal was where Israel kind of camped and made as their headquarters for quite a long period of time. Gilgal is a marvelous place to study. Prayerfully, one of these days when we go to Israel, we'll get to Gilgal together. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Yeah. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. Always pray and not lose heart. Never get discouraged about prayer. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. He said, now this is an unrighteous judge. He said, now you understand if people are persistent with the unrighteous, he said, how much more will not the God of justice? Ah, now, now understand, that this parable is not confusing. God is not an unrighteous judge. But he's saying, you know, in the world, in the world, even an unrighteous judge will answer this woman. He said, but now God is the God of justice. Will he God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now notice, he is the God of justice. This is the unrighteous judge. In other words, it's a how much more parable. Okay? How much more parable. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What Jesus is looking for Now, that's a sermon in itself, and I don't even dare get started on that. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, <laughs> now, now brothers and sisters, notice, they trusted in themselves, A, that they were righteous, and B, they treated others with contempt. We're so holy, and we're always right, and these other people, they're so wicked, and they're so bad. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, notice standing by himself, you know, self-righteous people are always alone. Have you ever noticed that? And he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So notice, their words, always comparison, putting others down. Now, when you, you want to talk about a Pharisee, this is a Pharisee. A Pharisee stands there and acts like they're so righteous and all they do is criticize other people, putting other people down. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So again, Jesus is talking about tithing as a part of life in that day. But the tax collector standing far off. Now, now hang on to this tithing thing for a little bit. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. 
for I am a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, beloved, please get a hold of this. When you see somebody pushing themselves forward, using everybody else as a stepping stone to step on and criticizing everybody else, um, they're going to be humbled. So you, you don't want to tie yourself up with that. They're going to be humbled. Now, they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. And Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me. He said, now listen, they weren't coming to you. They were coming to me. Do not hinder to them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's, that's just beautiful. That's just beautiful. You know, people always want to keep the children away from everybody because they consider children a bother. Jesus never considered the children a bother. He said, don't hinder them. Guys, some of the most beautiful worship you will ever see is a little child coming. Don't hinder that. Don't get in the way of that. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. The simple simplicity of how a child thinks. Have you ever noticed that children just believe everything? Have you, I mean, you say, well, they're just too naive. But that's kind of what it takes, that simple childlike faith. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to them, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's saying, who am I? Who am I to you? Am I God or am I a teacher? Who am I? You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He said, all these I have kept from my youth. All right, now all of these deal with vertical, deal with horizontal relationships. All right, let's just make it easy. Deal with relationships with people. All of those commandments deal with relationships with people. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. All right? This is the invitation to eternal life. The young man said, I want eternal life. What is eternal life? John 17. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and your son whom you have sent. So Jesus said, come, follow me. You can have eternal life. He said, but you have to leave everything. Leave everything and follow me. That man could have become one of the 12 apostles. Have you ever just sat down and thought of it? I mean, he was invited to come follow Jesus. Now, you see this in the context as we go. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich you'll find that rich people are not willing to change their lifestyle for the ministry, okay? Rich, not willing 
to change lifestyle for the calling. They want to keep their wealth and follow the call. Maybe this is one of the reasons why we look at someone like Mother Teresa. And there's so much respect for Mother Teresa because she left all the wealth that she had grown up with. And she went and served in the slums of India. It's an amazing story. Jesus seeing that he had become sad, okay? He, he was made sad by what Jesus said. He said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard to get rich people saved. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, the eye of a needle was an ancient gate that they had shrunk down like this, and it's hard to get in. A camel has to get down and kind of crawl in because it's a very, it, it's a very small gate to provide protection for a city. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it, which were the apostles, said, Then who can be saved? And he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So this verse is about salvation of the rich. <laughs> he said, It's such a hard thing, but it's possible with God. Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. When you put that over with, with Mark chapter 10 or Matthew 10, I can't remember which. You can check it. It's either Matthew or Mark 10. Uh, they give a fuller account of this passage. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, this is to follow the call, who will not receive, all right, they have left, now they receive, many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, you know what? Pastors are going to prosper. But pastors... Listen to me carefully. All of you pastors that tune in, there's one more requirement upon us than that are on the church members for prosperity. All the conditions of hard work, of discipline, of savings, of sowing seed, all of that is there for us as well. However, God asks one more thing of those of us that follow the call. Sacrifice. And God says that if we will sacrifice for the sake of the call, there will come a day in this life where prosperity flows to us in this time. So don't be, don't be upset when pastors prosper. When you know that they have lived a life of sacrifice in the past, don't get all upset when people prosper. Don't sit there and start clucking like a chicken because a pastor prospers who, who has lived a life of sacrifice. God, God has made that promise to them. Now, Let's look at Proverbs for a little bit of wisdom today before we close out. Proverbs 19, beginning with verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Now, New Living, better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and a fool. Now, you know what? Hang on to your integrity. If you have to make a choice to do something or to make money, always do what's right. 
God will bless you. God will prosper you. But never trade money for right and wrong, please. Desire without knowledge is not good. Desire without knowledge. NLT says enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. You know, having great desire to do something, but having no knowledge, that's not good. There are many people that have great desire to be a pastor, but they don't want to study for the ministry. And all they do is make a mess. There are others that have great desire to start a business, but they have no knowledge. And all they do is make a mess. Desire without knowledge is not good. Okay? Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. My father used to say it this way, David, think twice, act once. Now that was coming from his thing that he used to teach me about carpentry, though I was never very good with any kind of woodworking. Mechanical stuff, great. Wood, (laughs) beyond bad, all right? But dad used to always say, Dave, measure twice, cut once. And then he applied it later, think twice, act once. Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Verse 3, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Wow. Look at this in New Living. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they are angry with God. Just put a big wow on that one, all right? Just just put a great big stinking wow on that. People ruin their life by their own foolishness, and then they get mad at God. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. It's amazing. When you got lots of money, everybody wants to be your friend. But when you run out of money, (laughs) people don't return your phone calls anymore. Now, that's that's just life. And, you know, you can get mad about it all you want, but that's just life. A false witness will not go unpunished. People who tell lies about others will not go unpunished. You don't need to punish them. And he who breathes out lies will not will not escape. You don't need to go fight people who lie about you. You don't need to go to war with these people. God has made a promise. These false witnesses will not go unpunished. He who breathes out lies will not escape. Leave it in God's hands, beloved. All right, we're going to stop there today. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back to the book of Romans. We'll see you then.